I'm Jim and this is On The Left Side, The Funny Football Show. Yeah, I think you've got to be proud that Raheem's had the character to come out and speak about it. Yeah, if, you, if you remain silent, you're adding to the problem. Last week, we were talking about sexism and homophobia in sport. And now we've got the hat trick. Yes. As racism popped onto the pitch as a last minute substitute and stuck one into the onion bag. Actually, it was less a Solskjaer-esque late cameo and more Joey Barton-esque in that it's been there all along. You try and ignore it. Every now and again, it reminds you that it's there by behaving like a complete dick. This particular outing started last week when Chelsea beat the unbeatable Manchester City at Stamford Bridge. Raheem Sterling had the audacity to retrieve a ball for a corner and in doing so received a torrent of abuse from three fans in the front row, which in itself is a fairly common sight in football, which is mad. In what other profession could you just accept that in your day-to-day doing of your job, people are going to throw insults at you? Imagine if this was considered acceptable in any other form of employment, if you could just shout abusive appraisals as someone went about their daily business. What do you think you are doing? My mum could scan that packet of basmati rice quicker than that. You're a fucking disgrace, you man cunt. For some inexplicable reason, that seems to be okay in football. We're more than happy to watch people in the stands do it every single week. But last weekend, it crossed a particular line. The difference between this incident and previous incidents was you could tell what the fans in question were shouting at Raheem. And although no one can prove what was actually said, and as much as those accused insist they were actually shouting mank cunt, which for some reason is okay, it very much looked to most people like a racist attack on a 24-year-old lad just going about his business. And it's sickening. It's not just the words that were said that are the issue, but when you look at the pictures, it's the deep-seated, throffing hatred on the face of the fans that are hurling the abuse. They mean what they're saying. Is that club loyalty? Is it passion? If so, then fuck football and fuck anyone who thinks that showing that kind of aggression towards another human being is just okay. Just because we wear different coloured shirts. The sad thing is, the main reason that this incident has garnered so much coverage isn't because of the words that were said by the fans. It's because of the words that were typed by Sterling after the match, when he took to Instagram, addressing the issue and placing a portion of the blame squarely at the feet of the tabloid press. He accused them of normalising such behaviour with their reporting on the lives of young black footballers. Look, we've talked about this before, and Sterling is one of the biggest victims of negative headlines around his personal life in publications like The Sun and The Mirror and The Daily Mail. He was vilified for taking an £80 easyJet flight, despite earning £200,000 a week. He was abused for having the gall to eat an ice cream with his fiancée after England got knocked out of the World Cup. And my personal favourite from down the years was the time he went out for breakfast after the PFA Awards and was no doubt slightly surprised to read the headline afterwards that read Sterling treats himself to breakfast despite missing out on Young Player of the Year awards. How bloody dare he? All of those headlines, by the way, appeared in the Daily Mail, who limped into prompt action after the story broke in the same way that any racist does, by telling everyone that some of their best friends are black. The Mail dug back through the archives to find some back-page headlines where they actually praised young black footballers. Can you believe it? Praise? 
It's almost like they're normal people. In total, they managed to find three examples, one of which was about Danny Welbeck in 2012. Let's get one thing straight. If you have to go back six years to find something positive you've written about a black footballer, then it kind of proves in itself that there might be a problem. Of course, the Daily Mail isn't the only paper that's writing stories and headlines like this, but they are certainly leading the charge at the moment. And just like you'd expect with the Daily Mail, Piers Morgan obviously came out on the wrong side of the argument as well when he suggested that these headlines surrounding Sterling had nothing to do with race at all and were in fact no different to those surrounding David Beckham, Paul Gascoigne and George Best back in the day. He then went on to invite Sterling onto his breakfast TV show, an offer which, unsurprisingly, didn't get a response. But you know what? If he really wants to find out what Raheem's views are on the topic, he can always just hack into his voicemail, can't he? You have one new message. Morgan also writes a column for the Daily Mail, by the way. I thought this would be a good opportunity to share with you some of Piers Morgan's excellent World Cup analysis. Well, at Raheem Sterling, if you want to be the big dog in this team, you've got to produce big dog performances on the big dog stage. And Sterling, I didn't think, played very well. I don't say that for any other reason than he wasn't very good, and we should be free to criticise the players when they don't play very well. And what other reasons would those be, Piers? And why do you feel the need to reference them exactly? It's really hard to find positives when talking about stuff like this, particularly in a light-hearted football podcast. But if anything, it's got to be a good thing that this feels a bit like a watershed moment. We're finally talking about institutional racism in sport and in the press. And suddenly, we've got some of the icons in sport saying important things about the topic, like Pep Guardiola, who gave a stirring speech in his midweek press conference, a rally cry which is up there with Bill Pullman's effort in Independence Day. He's everywhere. The rest, the problem is the racism is in everywhere. It's not just in football, unfortunately. If it was just in football, we'll be safe. But the racism is in everywhere. What happened today in immigrants and refugees all around the world, how we treat them. When once in our lives we were refugees, our grandfathers or grand-grandfathers and mothers were refugees. That's why you have to fight in every day. They don't have to be tolerant zero on that issue. We have to fight, but strictly, for the human rights, for everything to make a better society for the future for everyone. Where today we are in danger. We have to protect the, how equal we are all together. Our kids, my kids, go to the school with the different Indian people, for a, a black people, for normal people. Black people and normal people? Oh, for fuck's sake. That's the tricky thing here. It can be hard to separate what is intended racism, what is ignorance, what is stupidity, and what, in this case, is just lost a bit in translation. Football is, to its credit, reacting, and Chelsea took prompt action, and they're looking to ban those involved in the incident. But there's no way they can ban everyone who hurls abuse, racist or otherwise, at a football match. For a start, they'd end up with more players out on loan than they have in the stands. They're not far off that anyway. I'll be honest, I've heard racist abuse at football before, and I've not said anything. And nor have any of the people around me. Maybe now that will change. The next time that I hear vile abuse in the terraces, this story might prompt me to take action myself, pull that person up in it, and maybe my actions will stop the kids in the stand hearing those words and stop them taking back to school with them to use them in the school playground. But it's not something that I or anyone else can do alone. It's a problem that we all need to face up to, that football needs to face up to. 
We need to do something about it together as a team, as supporters, as a society and stand shoulder to shoulder and unite against abuse like this. Because after all, there is no I in racism. There's an I, Jim. R-A-C-I. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right, that's it for now. That is today's show done. Apologies for the lack of jokes and humour and the rather serious subject matter. I'll be back to talking about boobs and stuff next week, I'm sure, so make sure you're subscribed to hear that. Click the subscribe button. However you listen to your podcasts, you'll get the next show as soon as it's ready. Plus, give us a review, give us a five-star rating, and give us a follow on Twitter at, on the left side, is the place to find us there. And if you're doing all that stuff for us, what are we doing for you? Well, for a start, we're leaving you alone for a bit. See you later. On the Left Side is written and produced by Ant McGinley and Jim Salverson. 